The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Let's do that now. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Exodus 4. Continue our series in uh, Exodus, God of glory. And the story continues as uh, God will make known His plan today. And in 2008, my wife Erin and I moved from uh, Chicago to Texas to start a summer camp for uh, first through 12th graders at a place called Camp Eagle, a couple hours uh, west of here. And uh, an element that was built into the framework of the program was something that we called WAFO, an acronym for Wait and Find Out. W-A-F-O, WAFO, wait and find out. And it was a, a tool that we gave to our staff and counselors built into the program in order to help the campers and the guests um, live in the moment, to, uh, to see what God was doing right there at that activity or at that experience or at that moment. And it also was uh, used to, um, to, to kind of build anticipation for what was to come uh, later that evening or the next day or the rest of the week. And now sometimes counselors would use it uh, to their, uh, you know, wrongly to kind of withhold information. Um, and other times it was a great savior also as, as weather changed or uh, plans had to change or schedules intentionally collided and they had to uh, they had to readjust things and it uh, would allow them to avoid the disappointment and help the campers just continue on in life and I was thinking about this philosophy this waffle or wait and find out uh, in two things one just as the nature of our world right now and trying to make plans uh, in light of COVID and shutdowns and uh, and restrictions and as we try to make decisions, oftentimes we're having to say, well, wait and find out what tomorrow brings, right? But I was also thinking of this philosophy as I was studying Exodus 4. As we were continuing the story of God's uh, uh, deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt, it's been made clear to us that God knows what's going on. He sees the bitter bondage they need in Exodus. It's clear to us that God is at work in the details, raising up people, moving events for their deliverance. And it's clear to us that Moses has been set apart and raised up to lead the charge. And it's been made clear to us that God, or I am, is making his presence and his power known. But what is unclear at this point is how God is going to deliver the Israelites out of their situation. We know who he is working with. We know the situation. But how is God going to come through? And this begs the question. The question of the things of God is, how does God make his plans known to us? And does he even make his plans known to us? Does God keep us in the dark? Does he purposely withhold information. You know, as Christians, we accept his sovereignty. We accept his goodness. We accept his wisdom. We trust him. We follow him. We go where he leads and are comforted in his presence. But does that mean that he never tells us anything? That following Christ is just one big game of waffle? 
Well, the answer to this question is, well, according to God's sovereignty, his goodness, and his wisdom, he does make his plan known. God makes his plan known after he makes his presence known to us. Then, then he makes his plan known after he reveals his character. See, it is most important that we know who it is that we follow, who this God is that we follow before then he reveals to us the plan in Exodus 4 then. After God reveals that he is the I am in chapter 3, he now shows us how he makes his plan known. And so as we get into chapter 4, what we're going to do is take it a section at a time, looking at this great passage, the revelation of God himself and his plan to us. And so we'll read and discuss and make some application as we go. So join me in Exodus 4, verse 1, as we read this first section together. Hear the word of God. It says this, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, well, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground." This is God's word for God's people. And if we're taking notes, here's what this first section teaches us, that God makes known his plan despite our constraints. Despite our constraints. Now, join me here because we just kind of parachuted in the midst of a conversation. In chapter 3, God, uh, God told Moses what he was being sent to do. He told him, he revealed himself, he said, uh, this is who I am and this is what you're going to do. Moses, you're going to lead the people of Israel out of their captivity, a massive task that he had given him. And if you remember from last week, to that Moses had two questions. He said, well, who am I? Because he knew that he was just a nobody and he'd been apart from Israel for a long time. And he asked of God, well, who are you? And to that question, God reveals himself as the great I am. And in both ways, God answers really with his character, with God's character, with his qualifications to accomplish the task, not in Moses' ability. And so we're here in the same scene. We're still at the burning bush. We're still on the mountain of God. And where we've just picked up is Moses continuing to question God. He is continuing to ask and, and, and saying, well... Uh, the gist here is, well, God, Moses is saying, God, that's awesome. And don't misunderstand me. You're awesome, God, and I believe you, but they're not going to believe me. If I go back and, and to, to Egypt, a place that I haven't been in decades, and I tell them that I've been sent of God to deliver you, you are awesome, but they're not going to believe me. And to this, as we just read, we see God give Moses an answer. He says, I know, and I'm going to give you three signs, three miracles to authenticate your message. 
I'm going to give you these three things so that they will believe you. The first is his staff. You know, his walking stick, his shepherd's stick that he would have had out there. And you saw it. He has it, and the Lord tells him to throw it down, and it becomes a serpent. And what does Moses do? He runs away, right? You probably would, too, if the stick you were holding walking through the wilderness turned into a snake. He runs, but then God tells him to do something. He says, go grab it by the tail. Let me just tell you, I mean, most of you run, most of you are never going to pick up a snake, but the tail is the last place that you want to grab it by. That is the most dangerous place, and yet he does it, and it becomes his staff again as a proof that he is going. The second is his hand, and becomes diseased. It's as it becomes leprous, and leprosy, and here in particular in the Pentateuch, really a disease that uh, just covers all kinds of skin diseases. Maybe not uh, the exact disease in which we think about uh, when we talk about leprosy uh, today, but it becomes leprous, and he sticks it back in, and it's cleaned, it's healed. And there's a third sign. One, if they don't even believe those two, a future sign that would come, really one of the plagues also, is that he would take this water and it would become blood. And so here, don't miss this, but the purpose of miracles has always been to authenticate the message. The purpose of miracles, why God appoints some to do miracles, has always been to authenticate the message in which they bring. And so this scene here, Moses and, and uh, soon we'll see Aaron here, is the first of three kind of specific times we've seen throughout human history of God specially equipping a people or, or, or a group of people with these gifts to accompany their massive announcement of deliverance their massive uh, message of God at work. And so with Moses and soon to be Aaron here, it is the message that they are going to be delivered out of Egyptian bondage and into the presence of God. He would do it then decades, centuries later, actually, with two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, as they were appointed and given these miraculous abilities as they came to warn the people of Israel who had turned away from their God to say, you need to turn back to God or it's not going to go well for you. You are going into captivity. And so especially raised up to do this. And the third, as we know, is Jesus and the apostles. They came announcing the gospel of the kingdom. That here you can be saved, repent and believe on Christ for the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior King had arrived, and you know their story of their miraculous ability to heal. And you know, we can read things like this, and we can get wide-eyed at the signs and not see what God is doing here, that he is making his plan known to Moses despite his constraints, to see, to see that Moses is powerless to make people believe. He cannot do it, but God can. See, don't miss what's going on here. Moses cannot, and so God says, I am not, and I will go with you. And we find ourselves in the same spot as human beings, don't we? We find ourselves here commissioned with the gospel message. We find ourselves, those who've been saved, with this stewardship of this message to, to bring to people, to say, hey, Christ has come. You can be delivered from your sin. You can be delivered out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, we are powerless to make anyone believe it. We cannot change their heart, and yet that doesn't stop God from sending us. He knows our powerlessness, and yet we are his appointed means to be his messenger, to bring the 
life-saving message of Jesus Christ. And God doesn't send us with, you know, like magic tricks, however. He doesn't send us with like a deck of cards and, and an iPhone to, to perform tricks to authenticate our message. It's like, here, let me show you this trick. And, and as you tell them the message, then you like lay out the cards and it, and it says their social security number or something. Like, wow, this guy's... Actually, God sends us with someone even better. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one who can affect the change. The one who is powerful to save. And as we proclaim the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, his spirit is doing the work. And what is sad is that sometimes we are unconvinced of the success of the mission, even though God promises his presence, even though he promises to go with us because all we can see is our constraints. All we can see is what we can't do. And we miss the point that it is God who can and chooses to use us anyways. And so, you know, like God, he, does, he makes his plan known despite our constraints, but also despite our complaints against him. If you're taking notes, that's the second. God makes his plan known despite our complaints. Look at me with, in, with me in verse 10 to see what Moses has to say to all of this. After God tells him he will give him these signs, Look at verse 10. Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Well, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I? The Lord. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak to you, to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Now, this is God's word for God's people, and he is making known his plan despite our complaints. Notice Moses' complaints. After all of this, what does Moses say? Well, I don't talk too good, right? I can't do it. I'm, I, I, I'm not persuasive. I'm not compelling. I'm not eloquent. You ever had those thoughts? You know, if you, you love the gospel, you, you, you love you, the, the, the Lord, and you know what it is to do. You know the message, and you, just, you have these thoughts like, well, I, I, I get nervous in front of people. I, I, I'm not quick on my feet. What if they ask this question? I don't know the answer. What if they, what if they you know, ask something that stumps me, and uh, then I, I won't know how to say it? And, and, and even thinking about that, our heart starts to beat faster, and we get nervous, and our, we start stammering. It's like... Am I the only one who thinks that way? No? Okay, good. We, we think these thoughts. Well, you know what? We're in good company. Moses had these thoughts. We think these thoughts. Even the Apostle Paul actually relished in these same thoughts. The Apostle Paul, one of the, the greatest of, of the New Testament era, one of the greatest of the apostles, if there's a ranking of all things, but he tells the church in Corinth, 
in 1 Corinthians. Corinth was a city in Asia Minor there that has a lot of parallels to our, uh, our, the state we find our nation in even now. Be a great book, lots of lessons here. He tells this church, look at what, you can just listen here, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22, and he says, For Jews demand a sign, which we've seen that. The Israelites or the Hebrews, Moses says they're going to demand a sign, and in Jesus' day they did as well. And Greeks, they seek wisdom. He says, But we preach Christ crucified. We preach of Christ and how he stood in our place. And he says, this is a stumbling block to Jews and it's a folly to Gentiles or everyone else. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And this is the backdrop. And then he tells the church this. This is 1 Corinthians 2, 1. And he says, and I, when I came to you, brothers... I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. And I read that and I think, the Apostle Paul, really? You, you are trembling and weak and fearful and not eloquent? That's right. So that the focus would not be on you or his gifts, but on the power of God. See, God makes his plan known. God works among us despite our constraints, despite our limitations, and even despite our complaints. God knows our inabilities. He knows these things. And so how does, as we go back to Exodus 4, how does God respond to Moses' complaints? What does he tell him here? He reminds him then of his character. He brings him back in the same way he did back into his questions in chapter 3. He comes and he says, hey, I hear you, but I'm the creator. Who was it that created your mouth? Who was it that gives you ability? The same one who created our mouth, our eyes, our ears, and everything, and gave us the ability to see or not see, to hear or not hear, to speak or not speak. And then he says what? Then I am going with you. I will be with you. And guess what that includes? Your mouth. I will tell you what to say. God is so good to respond this way, even, even as Moses continues to complain. As he says in verse 13, it's like he doesn't even get the impact, which I think some of us don't even, uh, we don't understand just how incredible it is that God promises to go with us and be with our mouth, and yet we can't even see it. All we can see is our own constraints, and like Moses, Lord, please send somebody else. Would you, would you just please send somebody else? We know like God has put this neighbor next to us and we have a family member or somebody that is just difficult and we pray, God, would you just put somebody else in their life? And God in his mercy does appoint tag teams. He doesn't just let all the responsibility rest on us. I mean, God's anger is justified here because all Moses needs is God. He has everything he needs, and yet he complains. And so God, in his mercy, says, okay, well, 
I know your brother Aaron. I will raise him up, and together you will go to lead the deliverance. Together I will use you. And so despite their complaints, God is still at work, and he sends them on their way. And see, here's the thing in our next point. As God makes known his plan, as God sends Moses, he does so at the right time. He does so at the exact right time. And Moses will now leave Mount Horeb. He will leave the burning bush and he will go back to his father-in-law. And so join me in verse 18 as we read this next little section here. Story continues. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And then the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. And so Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. And he went back to the land of Egypt and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Now, God sends Moses. He does so at the exact right time. And when God is making his plans, now he does so always in the perfect of timing. Moses had been working for his father-in-law, keeping the flocks. We know this. We've seen this. And he's, you know, like some of you maybe. Anybody work for their father-in-law or have worked for their father-in-law? It's not an uncommon thing. Jacob, an ancestor before Moses, he worked for his father-in-law, Laban. But unlike Jacob's situation where Laban became his adversary as he was to go back to the promised land, here now Jethro lets, him, lets Moses go in peace. He lets him go with his blessing and sends him off back to carry out the plans of the Lord. And as he's going here, then in verse 19, the Lord informs Moses that the threat has been removed. That the Pharaoh, the one who was after Moses, remember in chapter 2, why did Moses even go out into the wilderness anyways decades before? Because he had intervened in, in this fight between a, a, an Egyptian and a Hebrew, and he intervened and he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand, and he thought it wasn't known, but actually people did know. And then Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses, and so he got out of there. He split and went and hid in the wilderness, and now he's told... God has to tell him, by the way, there was no like social media in those days. There's no other news sources for him to find out that, you know, a great uh, ruler of the nation of Egypt had died. And so God tells him that the threat has been removed and now the time is right. So God has been at work over many decades working out these events for their deliverance. And now is the time. And church, you can be so sure of the timing of God, that his timing is always right and it is never stopped. That when he is at work, uh, his timing will always be right, that the doors will be opened when they are supposed to be opened. You maybe have been praying and asking, well, why God? When will you come through? How long must I endure this? How long will they stay in their sin? I've been praying this over and over and over. When will you bring a new job? When will COVID be over? How long? And it seems like maybe forever and maybe even it will never end until the time is right, and there is no stopping it. Maybe you've been waiting to have that gospel conversation, and God is giving you the opportunity, saying, just wait, and then you will get to have that gospel conversation in peace when all hostility is removed, when God is at work in the heart, when you can have that, uh, when you can go back to, you know, the post, or go forward on 
in our post-COVID life and peace and when we can go about the gospel reconciliating ministry in peace. So the Lord is teaching us here, be patient, church. Be patient, trust God's timing. And when the light turns green, hit it with all you got. <laughs> Step on the gas and follow him in obedience. Or as my dad used to say, drive fast and take chances. In jest, of course, you know, to a 16-year-old. But uh, that's what he used to say. Or in Moses' case, he would say, saddle those donkeys and yeah, get going. Come on. But look who he takes with him here. Takes his wife and his sons. And what does he go with? Look at in verse 20 here. What does he take with him in his hands? It's kind of real low key there. Moses took what? The staff of God. And this is so key for us. See, when God is sending us, when he's making his plans known, he does so at the right time and we don't go empty handed. He doesn't just send us empty-handed. It was a staff literally, yes, but spiritually speaking, this is a reminder that it is God who's going with him. It is not just the stick that would turn to a serpent, but it is a tool of the Lord to teach him that he would go with the Lord, which is really what the next section teaches us. So when God makes his plan, no, we go with the right equipping as well. Not only do, does he do so at the exact right time, but he does so with the right equipping or training or with the right instructions. And so look at the next section here in verse 21. Let me read it for us. And the, then the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now this is God's word for God's people. And as God sends Moses, as he is making his plan, no, he equips Moses by telling him three things, doesn't he? He says, where, what you're going to do, how Pharaoh will respond, and what you're going to say. What you're going to do is you're going to perform the miracles that I've given you the power to do. do. Do that. But you should know this, that Pharaoh will not relent. I have hardened his heart. And here's what you're going to say. You're going to let my son, my firstborn son, my chosen one, my uh, distinct and set-apart people, you will let them go, or else I will strike down your son, Pharaoh. And this is incredible to me. This is incredible to me. As God is making known his plan, as he, is, as he is sending him, he goes knowing what to do and what to say, but he also knows the results. That Pharaoh will not relent. And yet this doesn't stop Moses. No record of him, of him stopping and, and questioning God. But he's like, well, I thought you were so powerful. Why don't you just save him? And we could you know, avoid a whole lot of heartache and hardship. But this is so helpful for us. As we think of our own family and friends, as we think of the situations in our life and those people who are far from Christ, we don't know what is going on in their heart. We don't know uh, who God is saving and those whom he's hardening. We don't know who, those whom he will show mercy and those whom he will let continue in their sin. We don't have like some glasses that we can just scan like people and be like, okay, well, they're Christians, they're not, you know, we don't, we don't have that. But even if we did, 
Even if we could have insight into what God had foreordained before the foundations of the earth, even if that did, that does not stop us from faithfully proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That does not stop us from, from following him in faithfulness. See, the results are in the Lord's hands. But the responsibility to be faithful is in ours. The results are in the Lord's hand, but he has called us to live differently, to proclaim this message. And so we faithfully and joyfully do what God has called us to do and say what God has called us to say and live as he has called us to say, regardless of the response of those around us, regardless of how they may uh, ridicule us, regardless of how they may uh, respond joyfully or viciously. But we faithfully and joyfully do what God has called us to do. And to not do so is to rob God of the glory that is due him. It is to rob him of the glory. For even in man's rejection, God is glorified in his just judgment. As God is, as, 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 as man has, made, has revealed to them the way of salvation, God is glorified in his just judgment. And so to not do so is to rob God of his glory and also to rob uh, our fellow humanity, our, our, our brothers and sisters of people of their opportunity to repent and to believe on Christ. To not do so is disobedience then on our part. For we know the great commission. We know what God has called us to do. We know the purpose of our life, the plan of God for the reconciliation of the world from God to man. We go carrying the gospel. And so to not do so is disobedience on our part. Which is really what the next point. That God makes his plan known despite our disobedience. This is our next point. Beginning in verse 24. That God makes known his plan. God sends us despite our disobedience all the time. It's evidenced in these next rather strange verses. But join me here in verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now this is God's word for God's people. And yes, this is odd, isn't it? You read a passage like this, and if we were just to like jump in and read these verses, we would be like, what in the world is going on here, right? But as we understand the context, as we understand the bigger picture of God making known his plan, we begin to understand it. For otherwise, we'd be confused. Like, well, just a moment ago, it's like God and Moses, they're BFFs, and now they're enemies, and God is trying to kill him. Well, the scene shows us just how serious God takes obedience to his commands. That the, the severity in which we, that, the, that we would be punished for disobedience, especially to a significant command like this. See, circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham way back in Genesis 17. So Genesis, where we come, remember Exodus is the second volume in the Pentateuch, the first five books. God is uh, telling a story here through Moses, and he, uh, he sets apart Abraham, makes a covenant with him. 
tells them that he will uh, be a blessing to the nations. And those that bless him, they will be blessed. And those that bless him and his, or those who curse him and his family will be cursed. And because of him, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And as a result, he says, your children will be innumerable. And this land will be yours. And as a sign of your set-apartness, of you being distinct, he gave him this sign of circumcision for males. And this was serious, and it was what they were to do that set them apart from the nations. And see, God's people have always lived a life that is set apart. We live and look and do things that are different than is popular, different than, uh, than what is normal around us. And apparently Moses had failed to circumcise his sons. Even though this was a sign of the covenant, God's people had been doing this for hundreds of years, Moses had failed to do it. And at, at, at this point here in the story of Exodus, we only have, uh, we've only been told of his firstborn son, Gershom. But we'll soon find out that a second son was born in here named Eliezer. And it was referenced back in verse 20 when he, saddled, or he puts his wife and sons on the donkeys. And so these sons, he apparently failed to do this, and though Moses was following in obedience, this is what's really interesting, is he, is he is following the Lord. He is doing what God has told him to do. And yet at this point, at this point, God was dealing with this one area of disobedience. And it is the mercy and kindness of God to us, y'all, that he doesn't just like right when we're saved, right at the beginning of our, of our walk with the Lord, that he doesn't just like dump all the junk on us and all of our sinfulness and just, and just flood us and overwhelm us with the areas that he yet needs to sanctify. And this is God's kindness and mercy. Yes, when we come to Christ, there are many things that we see that bring us to faith and we repent of them and believe in Christ. But it is God's kindness to us for our entire life until we reach glory that he makes known uh, an area that he's working on. And he reveals it to us even in the midst of great obedience. And now here was one area in Moses' life that he had to deal with. And praise God for a godly wife who came alongside him to help him in it. Now, now, now note this here. Zipporah, his wife, is not an Israelite. She's a Midianite. And so this is a foreign custom to her. Circumcision was not something that they did amongst their people. And honestly, her, her reply here, the, the, that he would be a bridegroom of blood, nobody really understands what that means. Nobody, nobody uh, there's lots of speculation about it. But what we do know is that, it's a, that she's repulsed by it, that she's grossed out, that she has to do this. And, and, and yet she does it anyways because she sees the severity of, of, of her husband's disobedience. And so she stands in the gap and praise God for godly wives, husband, who come alongside us, and even in our sinfulness and in our disobedience. Amen? Praise God for the godly wives that he has put in your life for your sanctification, to be God's instrument in your life for your growth, especially when we are in sin. And they get to be God's mouthpiece to graciously point it out. Praise God for it. Don't reject it. Don't, don't get defensive with your wives. Don't point out all her faults. Don't blame her. Don't run away, but rather praise God for her. And for all of us, praise God for the people God puts in our life, for family, for friends, for your husband, for uh, your pastor, for small group members. 
For God takes sin seriously, and there are grave consequences for our disobedience. And so when God points it out, it's his grace. Just deal with it. Repent of it. Turn and follow Christ. You know, it's not like God was unaware that Moses hadn't failed to circumcise his sons at this point. And he was just going along. He's like, oh, no, we got we to gotta take care of this. No, he still sent him, and he's choosing to deal with it even now. And so maybe even this morning, you're like, I'm following the Lord in obedience. I'm serving him faithfully. But God has brought something to mind that he is working and wanting to refine in you in this season. You know, you're saying, well, I'm serving you faithfully. God, I'm here to worship you. But blank is in the back of your mind. Praise God that he has made you aware of it. Just repent and follow Christ once again. It's what we do as we get in and forever in our life. Now, maybe it's something like, well, I've been following Christ for a long time, but I've never, I've never been baptized. I've never just made that public proclamation. Maybe it's, it's something, uh, addiction. Maybe it's a relationship that's strained. Maybe it's bitterness that I'm holding on to. The secret sin that nobody knows about. God is just bringing it to mind. Maybe your spouse has brought it up time and time again, and now is the time to repent of it and to trust Christ as you Walk with him faithfully. But you know, this isn't how the story ends, thankfully. This isn't the final word as God is making known his plan to Moses as they are making their way back to Egypt as he is setting in motion this plan and now the actual events that will lead to the, Egyptian, or the Israelites' deliverance. See, the end here, God makes known his plan to the right people. To the right people. Join me in verse 27 and let's read this last section. Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Underline that so you never miss that. They worshipped. Now God makes himself known to Aaron, who was Moses' brother, mind you. And just, you know, this wasn't like one of the dozen errands of redemption, by the way. This is his, this is his brother. A man that they had, it's, it's been decades since they've seen each other. The last Aaron knew was that his brother had murdered somebody and ran for his life. For all he knows, that Pharaoh or one of his thugs got him and threw him in prison or maybe killed him as well. He had no idea, likely, where he was. And now, you know, I, I love just kind of the subtlety with which this verse is written. And Scripture does this all the time, you know. It's just like, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. You know, just kind of real casual. It's just written there, you're like, What? How, how profound is this that now the Lord is coming and revealing himself to Aaron in a way that he'd done to Moses, Aaron being back in Egypt and now making himself known and saying, hey, go into the wilderness and there you will find your brother. And so he goes and they meet and they have this joyous reunion, kissing him and greeting one another. Coronavirus wasn't around then. They could you know, embrace and kiss and it was okay in those days. 
but he doesn't know the plans God has for him and Moses. He just sends him on his way until he then finds Moses in the wilderness, and then together Moses reveals the plan, and then they make the trip into Egypt and gather then the elders of Israel, and they make known the plan to them, and they do the signs that authenticate the message and the plan for which God had sent them. And in verse 31, and the people believe. That God was not deaf. He had heard their cries. He had seen their affliction. And he was now going to do something about it. And when they hear this, they bow down and they worship. Isn't this a glorious end? As God makes known his plans, as he sends, he raises up the right people who will believe and who will worship him. And this is his way. He's, it's always been his way. God is always raising up his people who will believe him, who will worship him. He did it then. He's done it throughout all of scripture. And he continues to do it even today. Even as COVID once again blows the lid off and disrupts our plans. Anybody had plans canceled for this month of July? I have. Things are, 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 are constantly changing. We wonder what tomorrow will bring. We live this waffle life trying, wondering, well, what will next week bring? But church, we can rest assured that in the midst of it all, God is working perfectly, raising up the right people who will trust him who won't let even these days stop them from worship, who won't let government restrictions stop them from worshiping him, who won't let the threat of a virus stop them. And I love how this chapter ends as a reminder that, hey, God sees and hears and he raises up his people who will believe him, who will bow down and worship him. Don't you love that? Don't you love this reminder that in the midst of the oppression, in the midst of the horrible enslavement, in the midst of the brutal work, when it seems that there's no way out until God says something different, until God makes known his plan, until God says, follow me. And whenever God says this, whenever he makes known his plan, plans to send us, even if our questions remain unanswered, even as, our, as we doubt our abilities, even when we can't see all the way to the very end, we begin by saying, when God makes himself known, we begin by saying, here I am. And we end with, and I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. For this is what we were created for. And nothing, no circumstance can stop us from praising God and worshiping him. And so let's do that right now as we bow in prayer and then lift our voices to sing and worship him. God in heaven, here we are. Heads bowed, we bow before you in humble submission in humble obedience, trusting you to, uh, trusting your plan, trusting that you are at work. We are here now, God, with, uh, with heads bowed uh, to say that, God, we believe you. We believe that you are at work. We, we hear your plans. We know that you are sending us. And so what else could we do but worship you? What else could we do but say you are worthy that you are holy, that you are good. 
Nothing can describe you. There is none like you, Lord. And so thank you, God, for making yourself known. Thank you for making your plan known to us that we might follow you no matter what. We worship you now. Pray these things in Christ's name. God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, would you stand now? Let's worship.